welcome to Voices Unlocked. I'm Conrad Stewart, your co-host today with Pam Bailey. More Than Our Crimes is producing this podcast, and our whole mission is to bring the humanity side back to incarceration for individuals who won't be turning to society one day. Today on Voices Unlocked, we're doing part one of a two-part episode dealing with lockdowns in the federal institutions and how they affect the individuals behind the walls. First of all, we got to understand what these lockdowns are. You have what is known as a full lockdown and a modified lockdown in the Federal Bureau of Prisons. And most of these are in the penitentiaries. For majority of my stay in the BOP, I was in these penitentiaries and I understood the effect that it had on programming and rehabilitating. So the full lockdown, what you have is with a whole institution lockdown. There's no kitchen workers. There's no one going to work, but the whole institution is locked down and the correctional officers are doing all the work. So that means they are preparing the food. They're taking the inmates back and forth from showering. They are doing all the daily essential things that inmates normally do. It's now dependent upon the police to bring you them food, get their clothes, their mail, etc. And this lockdown means that we're in the cell for 24 hours, seven days a week. They may have the TVs on, they may not. So that means that it's just you and another individual locked in the cell all day long. And like I say, if you don't understand the psychological effect of us being social creatures and understand that we are developed mentally and psychologically through our learned experience, if these experiences are only experience of one individual that you're in the cell with, what type of mind are we actually producing? And actually, I, I've, I've uh, noticed you said it's mostly in the penitentiaries, but I would say a lot of the guys in medium security prisons are also reporting lockdowns, mostly modified. But you'll also hear that modified uh, lockdowns can be just as disruptive in their own way as full. And the modified lockdowns is somewhat similar, but you do come out for an hour in the morning and you might come out for an hour in the evening. But nevertheless, you're still confined to either your pod or your housing unit. And in this case, they do let some workers out for essential uses like laundry, food, commissary. But you're still confined to this small little space only for a few hours coming out your cell. Then you return back to your cell, whatever the time that they dictate and say is necessary to go back into our cells. I had there 26 years. So I would say the last 10 years of my incarceration, this is was the functioning of the prison. This was the function of the BOP, penitentiaries, and FCIs. This is how they function, and this is how they ran their institutions for over 10 years now. I was just explaining to Pam how in 2010, I was in Coleman 2 USP, which is in Florida. And we was only out our cell for 155 days. The other half, we was in our cell on some type of modified lockdown. The warden at that time, he had it in his mind that anytime something would happen, meaning that anytime there was an incident or emergency within the institution, they have a code that the COs use. We call it the deuces, right? Because you can hear it. It has this unique sound. And that's letting you know when you hear that, you'll hear the keys start jiggling from the police because they're responding to some type of incident. But it's only a code that the COs use in order to notify other COs that they have an incident in a particular part of the institutions. And when we hear this, we already know nine times out of 10, we're gonna, they're going to say lockdown, return to your cells. Well, however, in 2010, the warden at the institution, who was, uh, I believe it was Warden Drew, he made it in his mind. He told us every time the deuces go off, you're going in the cell for 10 days. We didn't like it. The staff didn't like it. But that's the way he ran his institutions. There's, there's a lot of information in the news lately about solitary confinement. 
And usually when you hear solitary confinement, they're talking about something called the hole or the special housing unit, where people are sent mostly for punishment. But the lockdowns have actually blurred the line between general population, where everybody is, and the hole. And I, I've heard that it's actually started getting worse, um, maybe 2018, 2017, and the COVID pandemic actually sort of solidified it and made it institutionalized. And the prediction I was hearing from the people inside was that COVID would make it increasingly the norm. That's proven to be true. The public health emergency has been declared ended, but the lockdowns have continued as the norm. And you're going to hear about that. And I want to throw it out there to y'all. Is this justified? Is this security or is this just, you know, abuse of authority? And it's ironic how all the institutions where D.C. residents is housed in the federal bureau prisons, these are the most restricted institutions out of all. And I had went to USP Big Sandy in 2016, which is in Kentucky. And soon I got there, they was on lockdown. But out of those 12 months, I believe nine to 10 months, we was locked down. Mm -hmm. So this shows you the inconsistencies of the prison. And it shows you how the institutions are abusing this uh, this method of control is really breaking the spirit of a lot of individuals who will return to society. And we will need these individuals to, you know, contribute as citizens. So the first interview is from the Coleman Penitentiary in Florida that you mentioned. I chose to interview somebody from there. That's actually where my co-founder, Rob Barton, currently is, because it's one of the worst when it comes to lockdowns, and it's particularly for full lockdowns. It feels to me, like because I have to communicate with my co-founder all the time, it feels like most of the time, to be honest, that I, I cannot get through to him. Because when they're on lockdown, they cannot communicate. They can't make phone calls. They can't do emails. Letters are the only thing. And very often, uh, letters at Coleman are delayed. Or I may not even get them at all. So the first person I interviewed is named Artavius Love. He starts off by talking about how it's become the norm. The only thing that is consistent is inconsistency at Coleman. So... Um, I would say a 40% threshold of the time we're locked down. We're locked down mostly weekends, every weekend. And for whatever reason, they deem that they're not able to facilitate the staff or whatever other reason. If the wind blows hard, we're locked down. The power might go out or the cable might go out or the thunder might crackle too loud. Sometimes we're locked down. Majority of the time is due to understaffing. So there's a problem there with the management side and staffing. Here because the incentive is for people to work overtime. So they run like a skeleton crew of COs so that they can give them unlimited overtime. And when they decide they want to call out or take their leave, then they're understaffed, usually on weekends, holidays, and throughout the summer months. So the second interview I did is with Brooke Tolliver, who had the misfortune of going from one fire to another. He was in Coleman and then was transferred to the high-security penitentiary called Hazleton in West Virginia, which is known as Misery Mountain for a reason. <laughs> now, um, as I mentioned before, as you heard, Coleman is known for full lockdowns for long periods of time. Hazleton is more modified lockdowns as a routine all the time, never-ending, and it can be just as bad. But he talks about when you're locked in your cell, a very small cell for long periods of time or constantly, you know, many hours a day, uh, with somebody else, even somebody you get along with, that can be a real problem. Think about this. Try to imagine this yourself, like you're being locked into your, your room with either a best friend or I have a friend who recently got to a new prison, and he was assigned to somebody who he had known before, and he used to tell me how much he couldn't stand him. <laughs> and then when I heard they were locked in together, 
to be honest, I was a little afraid. Knowing both those people like I do, they're both a little bit volatile. Can you imagine then locking them together? That's potentially really dangerous. Brooke makes that point, but says even if you get along, even if that person is a friend, if you're together too much in a very small space, it's an issue. So take a listen. Large porta potty. That's what a cell is because once you put a waste disposal device in the cell, that controls everything because you have stench coming out of there. You understand what I'm saying? And you have to keep that clean at all times. You have to constantly clean it. And some people don't go to that length. They just in the cell. And so that might bring cellies to blows like, oh man, you ain't cleaning the cell or you have to deal with their personality. By yourself, you can have time to think, you can write, you can do different things without uh, disturbance. So you got people that come to a boiling point with their cellies. What I believe a lot of people don't understand is that when you're incarcerated and you're doing time, 80% of you doing your time effective and efficiently has to do with your cell, your living conditions. Um, me personally, I knew in order for me to be able to study, to read, and be able to really just collect my thoughts and be efficient throughout the day. When you have an individual that you're not getting along with or y'all have personality clashes, this interrupts your whole day. So even when it's time for you to call home, you you have these things and these issues on your mind where you can't really enjoy the little freedom that you have in there because now you constantly think about, am I going my cell? Is he going to have the room dirty or have these foreign smells in the cell? And, or is he going to come talk to me a whole lot? Because a lot of times you might get a study, the way they get through their time is that they want to talk and conversate <laughs> and be social. And then, you know, when you're in that state of mind, especially if you're a critical thinker, I stay in critical thoughts. So I want to be quiet. You know, I want to yeah. just get my thoughts. I want to grab a book. I want to study. I want to kind of like exercise my mind. You will get these cellies with these different personalities and then they'll take you wrong because you're quiet and they think, oh, did I do something wrong or did I offend you? But yeah. in reality, it's just that you want your personal space. So doing your bid effectively starts off with the cellie. You know, it made me think of this related to maybe our normal lives. When you ride in an Uber, you, there's actually an option. I know people have noticed that. There's an option you can check to say, I don't want to talk. <laughs> if you don't feel like talking because some Uber drivers want to talk. Now, you have that option to say that, and then you're going to get out of the car. Well, so now imagine, however, you can't check that box, <laughs> right. and you're in the cell for 30, 40 days. But it, what's interesting is that although normally people don't realize this, the only place you're actually truly by yourself is in an ADX, which is a supermax mm. prison. In most cases, even in the hole, uh, you, you have a celly. But th there have been occasions when somebody's been by themselves, and uh, they've really made that stricter now. Ever since uh, Bernie Madoff, mm. he committed suicide in a cell. So they don't want that to happen because it causes very bad publicity, and the BOP, the Bureau of Prisons, doesn't want that. So the, a rule came down that, that basically said, do not allow anyone to be alone in their cell. And the bad part about that is that even when staff may know these two people shouldn't be together, right. they'll, they'll put them together. And this is where the issue arises because it's like they know it's a volatile situation, but however, they only intervene after the fact. And, you know, I had a celly one time, man, and he just would stay in the door trying to talk all day. First of all, you're in an uncertain situation because nine times out of ten, when you go to the special housing unit, you don't know your duration. 
You haven't got your incident report yet. So it's kind of like you got all these uncertainties going on here. So you really want, you want calm. This is the tragedy of it, though. I ain't going to lie because now you're putting people together and the only way you separate them is that they have an incident or they start fighting and they scuffling and you come in there, you spray mace. So it's like you're getting taxed double time because now you're not only going to get mace and they're going to come beat you up, but now you're going to get another incident report and possibly stay in the, in the shoot longer. So the people that make these policies really is not looking at the humane side. So there's a lot of other impacts of lockdowns. We've talked about one, which is being alone with the same person for long periods of time. But there's a whole bunch of other impacts that the lockdown has that we probably don't think about. And my next interview is with Donald Farabee, also in the penitentiary, in the Hazleton Penitentiary, West Virginia. So he's going to give some a lot of examples. Because of the amount of lockdowns we're having, the inmates are unable to program. Program is one of the main things that we need in order to lower our security levels and get out of the penitentiaries to the FCIs. So if we're constantly being locked down, we're not being allowed to program, which means we're not able to lower our security status in any way. On top of that, the weekends are the main days that our family members are off, which means every other prison normally allows us to have business on weekends. Here, we're only allowed to have business on Mondays and Tuesdays. On top of that, every federal holiday, we don't have a visit. You're, you're forcing our family to come for half a day after they've got to take a day off to come see us. So, like, that's that's really one of the most major things happening with these particular lockdowns, not to mention the medical. Because by us not coming up until 10 o'clock, we actually, we're running on a half a day in the penitentiary. So now all of these guys who may have medical issues, whether it's getting lab work done or getting x-rays done, they're being prolonged for weeks and weeks and weeks at a time. You have guys here who have had broken bones who were never even taken to medical. I think I have two of the guys email you. Each one of them had a broken foot, which made it even harder for them to just do daily day-to-day things like walking to child. You have, because it's it's no way for us to get to medical. So if a guy, like, we have we have guys here who have documented with the staff that, you know, they need to see medical, that the swelling is too severe. They're being told, well, medical's not here, or medical's on a unit, or... I mean, things as small as dental. You have you have the dental hygienist. She works the units more than she works in actual medical. So this is one of the reasons why the guys who need dental care aren't able to get their teeth cleaned or get, you know, it becomes a thing of if you don't need a tooth extraction, everything else gets pushed behind. Something as small as just yearly dental cleanings, we're six, seven years behind, literally. There's another part of the interview with Donald that I found particularly interesting. And remember, at Hazleton, they use a lot of modified lockdowns. And actually, what's interesting about that, I think, that the reason why they focus on modified so much is because they don't have to report it as a lockdown. So, for instance, when I went to uh, Senator Manchin's office to try to get him to intervene with a lot of the problems at Hazleton, uh, and I mentioned lockdowns, and he went to the BOP staff, and they said, oh, no, 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 we weren't, we weren't locked down that many days. And it's because it was only parts of days. But... As Donald talks about next, that inconsistency of schedule, which is what a modified lockdown is, you're you're out, then you're in, you're out, and then you're in, and you're not really even quite sure when each starts and ends. That can have a very bad effect on mental health, and that's what he talks about. Like, I've been incarcerated for the last 28 years. My whole, I'm going to say my whole bid is based on scheduling. 
scheduling is what keeps us. We, we know what we have to do. We know where we need to be. Like, I have a job. I'm one of the few guys here who actually have a job. But even having a job, I'm not sure what time to wake up. I'm not sure what time I'm going to come out my cell. I'm not sure what time I'm going to work. This throws off your sleep pattern because guys, sometimes they may open the door at 10 o'clock. Sometimes they may open at 12 o'clock. Sometimes it may not open at all. So now a person, you, you have to have some type of structure. If you don't have structure, Ms. Bailey, you're going to have anarchy. It just is what it is. And that's, that's, that's the main problem here at USP Hazleton. There's no structure. Yes, man. The Bravo, you made a very violent point because consistency is a key and make all of us really productive in life. I remember when I was down Coleman too, I worked in the laundry for seven years. I was able to work for seven years, gaining not only the social skills, but the, the, the work ethic of getting up early morning, right? And this is why I'm able to thrive now because I'm used to getting up early in the morning, going to work, and I had a schedule. You know, I get up six o'clock in the morning, I go to work, I start work at 7.30, I get off at 1.30. So I had a daily routine and schedule that helped develop me. And it helped me not only from a personal standpoint of view, but even from a business standpoint of view, because I did everything when I was in the laundry. I was able to do the clerk, the washing, the folding. I did, you know, I even did the pay slips. So in understanding this, without these experiences, I wouldn't be able to come out here and understand how I work environment to have a work relationship. My two supervisors was females. So it was it was giving me that that rapport with authority and understanding how to work with authority. And when you have these long lockdowns, you don't develop these skills. We the sum total of our experience. So if we don't have this experience, then how will we ever grow and evolve? So he made a very violent point about consistency, and consistency is part of the development. It's interesting because I recently had a lot of the individuals in prison keep what I call a lockdown diary for me so I could see what it actually looks like on a day-to-day basis. And very often at Hazleton, they'd be saying, they normally be let out of their cells at 6.30 in the morning. They say, no, it's like now it's like 9.30 or it's 10 in the morning. And that may sound like a small difference, but to them, going out just those few hours later and not knowing the night before that it's going to happen is really disruptive. So we're going to end right there on part one, and we're going to pick up next time on this discussion. We're going to deal more with the why, right? Why they locked down. And so I want you all to stay tuned because it has a very dramatic ending to this episode. So I want you all to tune in and I want you all to also subscribe because you don't want to miss it. 